Thank you for joining us for today's show. You can follow us on Facebook or visit our website at BeatitudesChurch.org. Beatitudes Radio, empowering people to enrich society. So again, today we are talking about pride, the first of the so-called deadly sins or fatal attractions, as I like to call them. You might remember the standard list. There's pride, envy, anger, lust, gluttony, and finally, sloth. Today I'm going to talk about pride. And a few weeks ago I talked about anger. And maybe I'll get to a few more of these uh, from this list while I'm with you this summer. Now get this, I grew up uh, in a home hearing that having pride was a good thing. My mother was forever saying, take pride in your appearance, take pride in your work, make everything look good, she'd say. She'd say, um, our house is nicer than anyone else's because we take pride in trimming our trees and cutting our lawn and keeping everything groomed and manicured and tidied and clean. And then imagine my shock when in Sunday school I learned that having pride was considered a sin. And then what a smart aleck I became when I called her on it. Here's the thing, though. I I think my mother was using pride interchangeably with self-esteem. Back in the 60s and the 70s, when I was growing up, pride, self-esteem, and self-respect got all mixed up. And here's the reason. Remember all those those self-help books of the 60s and 70s? Uh, Perhaps you will recall, I'm okay, you're okay which for me is one of the most memorable titles from that era. Ideas like do your own thing and if it feels good, do it were rampant. And precisely because of of those attitudes, many people got hurt because there were social ramifications. When an individual became concerned with his or her own pleasure and ambition, It was often at the expense of others who can get hurt. Many uh, modern therapeutic movements crested in the 70s and played fast with this idea of pride. You could not distinguish personal growth from self-indulgence. If I hurt someone in the process of my own radical self-actualization, he or she would just need to get over it as soon as he or she felt better about themselves. A rabbi once uh, said that a person who does not love themselves will make a casualty out of the neighbors sooner or later. And there's an element of truth to that, but we humans can get things so woefully out of balance and we fail to recognize the shades of nuance. Misapplied pride and its inverse, humility, to the extent of feeling unworthy, can really get out of balance and trip us up. 
I remember hearing so often from my college education professors as I studied for my first career to become an English teacher that we were to go to work on our students' self-esteem. That what was what was so sorely needed. They needed to feel better about themselves and love themselves first and foremost. So we were taught to lavish praise and give everyone some sort of trophy. Bobby, you stayed awake in class today. Good job. But then we teachers began to note that all the kids started thinking they were wonderful just the way they were, and they had little reason to want to advance further. Indeed, the problem is often oversimplification. We human beings tend to get everything out of balance. The real truth is that we need to balance self-esteem boosting praise with honest critique so that our students could grow. So here's the thing, a, a spiritual balancing act confronts us daily between appropriately loving others and loving ourselves. Maybe what we need to talk about is this problem of feeling unworthy. And we can study biblical exemplars who struggled with unworthiness. Remember Moses. Well, God spoke to him and he said, I want you to lead the people. And Moses stammered and said, but I can't speak in public. And God worked that out for him, of course. And then there was Isaiah. And Isaiah was another one who was told to lead the people. And he said, I'm a man of unclean lips. I don't know if that means he swore a lot or he told a lot of dirty jokes, but he first refused to lead. Instead, he said, I'm a sinner. And then there was Peter. Right there in the presence of Jesus, Peter said the same thing, I am unworthy of you. Yet, Peter did rise to the occasion and that he was called to. And then we can go outside of the Bible uh, to some contemporaries like Albert Schweitzer and Mother Teresa. They are persons who did some of the greatest things in the world, but were always talking about being unworthy. Now, if they are unworthy, where does that leave you and me? So here's the tension, the paradox. All of us have at least one spiritual gift that God intends for us to give to the world. And God can't get that word out if we are stuck feeling unworthy. So that's the flip side of pride, where things, where, where there may indeed be a bit of virtue in the vice. We may struggle with the feelings of unworthiness at times, but we can choose not to let that emotion hold us back from giving ourselves to the world and trusting in those gifts that God gives us. See, we will never solve the problem of feeling unworthy of the grace of God, but we must never let that hold us back. In fact, the good kind of pride is to have our pride in God. And we must recognize that all those things that we have are God-given gifts. 
Even our developing of those gifts is not to be a source of pride. That is merely the appropriate stewardship of God's gifts to us, which we cultivate for the common good. Say we have a God-given innate talent of some sort. Even the energy we possess in developing that talent, say like practicing a musical instrument, comes from God. Even our ability to focus and discipline ourselves and make good choices in life are gifts from God. The Presbyterian theologian Frederick Buechner once said, the place God calls us to is to, oh, I'm sorry, the place God calls to us is the place where your deep gladness and the world's deep hunger meet. In other words, we should not ask what the world needs. Instead, we should ask what makes us come alive because the world needs more than you know. What, what the world needs more than you know is what makes you come alive. It's all about matching our great passion with the world's deepest need. In other words, your good gifts are for the world's needs. Paul says in Ephesians that it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. And this isn't from ourselves. It's all the gift of God, not by our works so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God pre prepared in advance for us to do. Paul is saying that the gifts and talents we have are from God and belong to God, so our pride is not in ourselves, not even in our work in developing those gifts, lest we become confused and, and think they are issued just for ourselves and our personal gain. Here I think of one of Martin Luther King Jr.'s most memorable quotes. He said, life's most persistent and urgent question is, what are you doing for others? Martin Luther King knew the Bible very well. He knew that God wants us to know we are worthy in God's eyes. God gives us gifts to match the world's great needs. The biggest lesson today is this, what God gives us, all our gifts and talent are never to become a source of personal pride. They are given to us to meet the world's needs the world's deepest needs. When they do become a source of pride for ourselves, that's when we open ourselves up to all the follies of pride. And we remember Proverbs 16, verse 18, that proverb that asserts, pride goeth before a fall. Consider these falls when our pride gets too out of balance and we trust in ourselves rather than in what God gives us. The story is told from Muhammad Ali's heyday as the heavyweight champion in boxing. He had taken his seat on a 747, which was starting to taxi down the runway for takeoff, and the flight attendant walked by and noticed that Ali did not have on his seatbelt. 
And she said, please fasten your seatbelt, sir. And he looked up proudly and snapped, Superman don't need no seatbelt. With hesitation, or without hesitation, she stared at him and said, Superman don't need no plane. <laughs> and then there's that story about the clever salesman who closed hundreds of sales with this line. Let me show you something several of your neighbors said you couldn't afford. So of course our pride can lead us to places that we cannot afford, and later we can stumble and fall, file for bankruptcy, and feel humiliated. Pride can keep us from ever admitting that we were wrong, and we can look foolish and lose the respect of others. Yet, there is good news in all of this. There is good news even in our vices of sin, our very mistakes if we aren't too proud to admit them. Our very mistakes can lead us to God and can lead us to depend on God. As the light of scripture and truth exposes our follies, God is ready to forgive and foster our continued spiritual growth. What would we learn in life, after all, if it weren't for our mistakes, if it weren't for our overconfidence in ourselves? How would we progress spiritually? Even the biblical text reveals that transgression becomes the most common pattern of human transformation, starting with Adam and Eve. Think again on the examples I gave of Moses and Isaiah and Peter. Sinful humans went on to advance God's kingdom. There are so many others I could also cite from scripture and contemporary culture as well. As pride and our other sins get revealed in us and show up in us as inadequate or wrong, Something new gets born in us, and today it is the task of the church to aid the birth. I want to end today with just a few comments on our Galatians scripture our reader so beautifully read. In our Galatians passage, Paul is talking about someone who is not defensive or proud, but who is overcome with guilt and self-condemnation for his sin. And this situation requires gentleness, encouragement, and support from the church at Galatia. The idea is that the church is to be a hospital for sinners, a place of getting well, of getting whole, a place of transformation, a place that gives context and encouragement and perspective and aid. Because Paul also warns that all of us are subject to temptation, so we must all avoid arrogance and supposing that we are something when we are nothing apart from God. So what's the virtue then in the vice of pride? Well, the answer is nuanced, of course. Our pride and our boasting must be in Christ, who says we are worthy and who gives us our worthiness. God gives us gifts and grace and the very energy that animates us for the benefit of others 
not for us to take pride in ourselves. And as we exercise our God-given gifts, we don't do so to make ourselves a name, but to advance God's kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. And when we do fall victim to pride and get into trouble, we hopefully will learn from our mistakes, get transformed, and grow spiritually even better with the help of a supportive church. But we are called to awareness of our vices and our shadows. The great psychiatrist and psychologist uh, Carl Jung said that if we deny the existence of our shadow sides, they will take over most of who we are. If we make friends with our shadow side, we will be able to keep it in reasonable check, only name it and expose it to the light. Confessing to the existence of our shadow side and dealing with it are our spiritual tasks. That struggle is how we grow during our years on earth. And as we struggle, may God indeed strengthen our souls. Amen. Thank you for joining us for today's show. You can help us to continue this program by making your donations at BeatitudesChurch.org backslash online dash giving. Beatitudes Radio, empowering people to enrich society.